Let's be bad guys with Dungeon Keeper this week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 30 of the Upper Memory Block podcast. I'm your host, Joe, back with you once again to talk about a new game, or to talk about at least a different game that we haven't covered yet in the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. So right off the top, I know the show is a couple of days late. I mentioned it on Twitter and on the Facebook group. Unfortunately, on Sunday, uh, the day that I usually record the show. I usually get up kind of early in the morning and uh, bulk of my research is kind of already done, but I kind of sit down, I write the show, I collect my clips, I do all that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I record kind of Sunday afternoon. Unfortunately, on uh, Sunday morning, my internet, thank you, Bell Canada, was uh, not very functional. And uh, unfortunately, that kind of put a hamper on my uh, looking up my research sources. And, uh, you know, I write things up on Google Docs and and all that kind of thing. So I got a little sidetracked there and uh, the show is out a few days late, but not to despair. We are here. Everything is going to happen just as it should have and uh, maybe even a little bit better uh, around here. Not much has been going on. The weather is nice, except for last night when we had a horrible, horrible uh, thunderstorm kind of lasted all night. There was flooding around uh, around the city. Nothing in my area or one of our major north-south highways, the Don Valley Parkway was uh was flooded out because it runs right next to the Don River which uh brimmed over its banks and yeah it was uh it was quite the uh, the noisy night for sleep let's uh let's just say that but enough about the weather we got stuff to talk about such as a little bit of news uh before I do get to the news however uh, I have a little bit of a retraction on the last show where I talked about Mist, uh, it was pointed out to me on the Facebook group that I said that Mist 3 and 4 were available via Steam and GOG. Well, that is not the case, unfortunately. Only Mist 1, 2, and 5 are available in addition to uh, the Manhole, and I think there was one other game on there as well. Uh, I must have looked at things too quickly, so unfortunately, Mist 3 and 4, not really... Uh, a very straight up and easy way to get your hands on them. I think uh, I think it was Alima that uh, mentioned a way to get Mist 3, she believed, uh, via buying another game or that it was embedded in another game or something like that. So uh, we'll have to look a little harder for those two games. Thanks to Colin uh, on the Facebook group for letting me know about uh, that little oversight. And, uh, you know, if, same goes for everyone else. If, if I say something you guys don't think is right or if you know it's wrong, let me know. I will uh, I will let everyone know. As I usually say, I'm not the uh, the be-all and end-all authority on this stuff. I just uh, kind of read what I can read and find what I can find. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes uh, I make a little mistake. So thank you so much for, for pointing that out, Colin. Now on to the real news. Uh, it appears that the team that brought us The Incredible Machine is back together and creating a new game that they are calling Contraption Maker. No Kickstarter this time. The game's already well into development. They didn't even do a Kickstarter. They they either came up with money themselves or they got funding through a publisher or something like that. Uh, they are aiming for a Steam Alpha release 
of uh, Contraption Maker in early summer. It looks really cool. Looks like it's really in the in the vein of the Incredible Machine. Exactly the same kind of crazy parts, crazy contraptions, all that kind of cool stuff. Uh, I have the Kotaku link in the show notes, so please check it out. Next, we have another movie project which uh, is trying to describe the love of video games and uh, kind of where video games came from, where they're going, why the people who make them, you know, why do they make them? Why do they spend their lives doing it? Why do they love them? Why do gamers love them? Uh, the movie is rife with interviews with with big names like Nolan Bushnell, Brian Fargo. Uh, unfortunately, I can't remember the names of the creators of Pitfall, the creator of Qbert the creator of Dragon's Lair. Uh, they also interview actors like uh, Will Wheaton and Chris Hardwick and uh, a couple of other people like that. They talk to different authors, current-gen game developers. Uh, it looks really does look quite interesting based on the Kickstarter video. So um, I believe they've funded already, but uh, as usual, I'll, I'll link it. Go check it out. Looks like, a, looks like a really cool project. One more Kickstarter to talk about. Uh, I came across this one via Veronica Belmont. Uh, she's lending her voice to a kind of claymation-style adventure game called Armacrog from uh, the creators of Earthworm Jim and The Neverhood. That's a very cool-looking game that's pulled in some interesting voice talent. So in addition to Ms. Belmont, uh, we're also getting uh, Scott Kurtz of uh, PvP Online. He's a web cartoonist, if you hadn't uh, heard of him. does a, does a pretty good long-running web cartoon. Uh, Michael J. Nelson, the uh, the brains and the star of uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, and more recently Rift Tracks, and uh, John Heater, Napoleon Dynamite himself. Uh, not sure why the game looks interesting. The game looks cool. It's not like it really jumped out at me. Just um, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to be watching this one, if only for uh, for the interesting voice talent they got on board. Finally, in the news. Uh, I reported a while back that the new Leisure Suit Larry game was scheduled to release at the end of May. Well, it's uh, May 29th today, and uh, we still have no Larry. Uh, A backer update went out saying that the game had to be delayed a month to give the team time to fix uh, a bunch of bugs that cropped up in the beta release. So come summer, we may be seeing some new Larry. I will keep you guys up on all of that. And that is that, I guess, for the news today. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So before we get to the main topic, a few emails came in this week. First, a quick reply from Andreas to his email last time. He writes, hi, Joe, don't worry, you hadn't pissed me off. Uh, it's just that sometimes I don't really have anything to say or I'm so burdened work and social things that the regular UMB cast mail slips through my fingers. As for Dungeon Keeper, I never played it myself, but I have a few friends who are into it and it looks like a really cool game. I especially like how you could go into first person view and become one of your workers in Dungeon Keeper 2. Looking forward to the show. Also, I found a piece of news that might interest you. And, uh, there he links, uh, the incredible machine successor game that uh, that i just talked about so thanks uh thanks for the message thanks for the link andreas and uh it's always always great to hear from you next a message from a new listener named jessica she writes hello my name is jessica i stumbled onto your podcast via elder geek i really enjoy the format of your podcast and your personality well i haven't played many of the games you talk about seeing as i was primarily a console gamer growing up learning about you and your listeners experience 
uh, with the games as well as history behind them is incredibly enjoyable. I hope to listen to your podcast for a long time to come and look forward to trying some of the games that you recommend. P.S. Have you ever thought about doing a podcast on Tyrion or Tyrion? Tyrion? I can't remember. My personal favorite shmup of all time and it fits into the era. Thanks, Jessica. Uh, you know, I, I haven't gotten around to doing a, a shmup or a shoot em up, if you will. Uh, Tyrion, it, it, it would definitely be one to do. Uh, I replied to your email and, and I think I said this. Um, there was one game that I played. It was a shoot em up. It was, I believe it was, yeah, it was top down. It was a, it started, it was a shareware game uh, where you flew a ship and you got upgrades as you went through and all that kind of thing. Kind of very standard, but I played the crap out of that game and I cannot for the life of me remember the name of it. I'll have to do some digging and uh, and try and find uh, what what the name of that game was. I, maybe it started with V. Oh, I don't know. It's just, it's it's so out there. I have a very, very specific memories of what the, what the ship looked like and the enemies that you killed and and all that stuff, but I just cannot remember the name. So maybe Tyrion, maybe that game, if I could ever figure out what the crap it's called. Uh, anyways, thank you so much. So that's it for emails for now. We got a couple more coming up a bit later in the show, but let's get on to the main event. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for Over So this week, we are discussing the unique Dungeon Keeper series. Dungeon Keeper is a series of two games developed by Peter Molyneux's Bullfrog Productions and published by our friends, at times, <laughs> Electronic Arts. Uh, the first game in the series, named Dungeon Keeper, was released in 1997. So Dungeon Keeper is another one of those somewhat unique games in that it sort of crosses genres. It contains elements of real-time strategy, contains elements of a god game, and uh, it also contains even some first-person shooter elements. Primarily, though, Dungeon Keeper is a real-time strategy game. As we discussed back with Command & Conquer, a real-time strategy game places you in command of a given set of units tasked with completing some kind of military objective. Uh, you control your units from a high-level view, observing the battlefield, and controlling your units either individually or in groups. In addition to this, you're generally required to maintain a base. Your base contains buildings that serve a variety of purposes, including unit production, resource processing, storage, and defense. Uh, this is usually all paid for by gathering one or more resources, such as ore, wood, gas, gold, any material that is deemed valuable in the game universe. So while this is generally the format of a traditional real-time strategy game, Dungeon Keeper departs from this model in quite a few ways, which we will see very shortly. Okay, on to the story. Now I'm gonna keep saying this maybe at the beginning of every section, and it's because I really mean it. Dungeon Keeper is an interesting game. It provides us with a very rich and engaging world, but not much in the way of a narrative story to go with it. The basic concept of the game is what you likely think it is. Since the earliest days of tabletop Dungeons & Dragons, we, the players, have always taken on the role of the intrepid heroes delving into the dark, dank, and evil dungeons in a quest to do something or other. 
Sometimes you were rescuing a fair maiden, other times you were searching for riches, yet other times the only reason you entered the murky depths of a dungeon was to defeat the enemies within. Suffice it to say, the players were the heroes, the dungeon master, and later on, the enemy AI was the opponent. Well, as of 1997, this was no longer the case. Dungeon Keeper turns this concept on its head. Why be the hero when you can be the villain? Dungeon Keeper allows us to do just that. You're not a marauding knight, you're not a virtuous priest, you're not a powerful wizard, you are the DM, the boss, the big baddie at the heart of the dungeon, and your goal is to defeat all the bothersome heroes who keep trying to invade your underground realm. After a fun and rocking intro, which unfortunately I don't think I'm going to be playing since it's really just music and visuals and a little bit of fighting sounds, uh, you are presented with a view of a calm and peaceful land consisting of a series of towns. Each town is a level of the game, and here you are presented with the voice you will come to love and loathe, the mentor. At this point, he provides you with a short synopsis of the blissful state of being of the town whose dungeon you're about to take ownership of. The first one goes a little bit like this. Eversmile. Set in the realm of joy, the people of Eversmile are plagued only by aching facial muscles, and not anthrax as we had hoped. Eversmile is a disgusting land of good humor and polite frivolity. And once that level's complete, you go on to the next one, which goes a little something like this. Cositon, a hideous sham of a town in which the prosperous citizens have no gripes or moans. Sadly, even the children are happy and secure. This is because they aren't punished for non-existent crimes. Eh. You know what? These are kind of funny. Let's do one more. Water Dream Warm. A region of pointless frolicking and endless pleasure. No one here understands the true meaning of suffering and random shocking violence meted out arbitrarily. So that's the world of Dungeon Keeper on the surface level. The story, such as it is, is light, fun, and engaging and serves its purpose of giving us a cool setting in which to wreak havoc on the countryside. So let's get into some gameplay. As I said, on the surface, Dungeon Keeper is really just a real-time strategy game, but indeed it is really much, much more. Once you select a stage, based of course on its charming description, uh, your view zooms and swirls into a now familiar isometric view of the dungeon. Right now, not much to see. Uh, your dungeons always begin with a pre-excavated square area with your dungeon heart at its center. The dungeon heart is, literally, the heart of your dungeon. You, as the keeper, do not exist in the same material plane as the dungeon and the townspeople you intend to terrorize. The dungeon heart is your link to the world. Suffice it to say that while your goals in each town may differ, the one thing you must always take care to do is defend your dungeon heart. Without it, you lose the level. In addition to your dungeon heart, you have a few minions with you. These are imps, the basic laborers, peons, if you will, of your dungeon. The imps, more so than any other of your minions, are your bitches. They do all the grunt work in the dungeon, so let's start using them. You control the world with your cursor, which takes the form of a large floating hand. This is where strains of the god game come into play. Uh, if you want one of your imps to go somewhere, your hand of god can grab him, pick him up, and drop him in the spot you desire. 
If he isn't working fast enough, your godly appendage can smack him upside the head and make him work a little more efficiently. If your imps are happy, fed, and paid, they will generally do what you ask of them. We'll get a bit more into that later on, though. So, you build out your dungeon by having your imps dig out rooms and passages from the earth. Once an imp clears a block, he stands on it for a short time, and it becomes part of your domain. The dungeon can take any form you desire, but it's generally a good idea to build rooms separated by narrow passages, which can act as choke points for enemy incursions. Most tiles consist of earth that can simply be moved aside. Others contain gold veins, which your imps will mine, and yet others will contain impassable rock that can't be dug out. Uh, your dungeon will have to go around these specific areas. So as you dig out and you claim areas, you designate dungeon rooms. Dungeon rooms serve multiple purposes in Dungeon Keeper. Like a traditional real-time strategy game, certain rooms provide support to your efforts. Other rooms allow research and upgrading, and some rooms allow creation of certain unit types. What's interesting, again, about Dungeon Keeper in comparison to, say, Command & Conquer, is how you go about using your rooms. In Command & Conquer, you build a barracks. Clicking on that building displays any available actions. So in CNC, maybe we can train a machine gunner, a grenadier, and a rocket soldier. As long as we have enough money, we can build units to our heart's content. Well, not so in Dungeon Keeper. In Dungeon Keeper, you don't create or hire the vast majority of your creatures, at least at the start. The rooms you build in your dungeon will attract certain types of minions. So let's talk room types. To begin, every dungeon needs a place to store its treasures. So we dig out a small passage from our dungeon heart room and then dig out a 9x9 square. This will be our treasure room. Once the lazy imps dig things out and claim the tiles for you, you go to the building tab, select treasure room, and define your 9x9 room as a treasure room. Your imps scurry across the area and build it up. Now, if you dug out any gold veins, your imps will run back to the gold, or you can pick them up and drop them next to it, and they'll grab it and cart it over to your new treasure room, adding that gold to your treasury, your bank account, whatever you want to call it. So, now you have a place to store your booty. Well, if you want more minions, they are going to need a few things. They need a lair. That is a place to rest and recuperate, and uh, they will need a hatchery, which will provide them with some delectable chickens to eat. With these three rooms, you're ready to open your gates to new potential employees. So somewhere in the immediate surrounding area, you'll find a portal. This is where your prospective minions will enter your dungeon. Suggest your imps that they should build a path to this portal. Once it's done, creatures will begin arriving. An entrance has been claimed. With a series of basic rooms, you welcome basic creatures. Aside from your imps, you may start to receive beetles, which are slow and not entirely useful early combat units. Uh, the quicker and lighter flies that arrive serve as decent early game scouts, though they generally die on their first encounter with an enemy. As you level through the game, you gain access to more rooms. Next up is the training room, where your minions can spend time practicing to level up their abilities. Each unit, yes, even the lowly imps, have one or more abilities that they gain as they level themselves up. The training room also attracts demon spawn. These guys are the workhorse combat unit of the early game. The workshop attracts trolls. Trolls are the production units of the game. They can fight, but they're better off sticking inside the work workshop 
where uh, they research and build things like doors, bridges, different kinds of traps, and other fun tools to further fortify your dungeon. The library attracts warlocks. They research magic spells for you. Spells are another way for you to directly interact with the world. Spells allow you to conjure low-level minions, break through fortified walls, zap enemies with lightning, or transform them into chickens. Uh, you can also use them to force your minions to obey, even if they don't want you to. One very interesting spell, again, I use the word interesting, I gotta find a different word to say, but, you know, it's descriptive. Uh, a very interesting spell is uh, that I feel is quite unique to Dungeon Keeper is Possess Creature. This spell allows you to take direct control of one of your minions and wander through the dungeon looking at it through their eyes. This drops you from kind of the third-person isometric dungeon god view of the world into a first-person view of your dungeon. Uh, you have access to the possessed creature's skills and abilities as well, so it does create opportunities for interesting and unique gameplay. Which creature you possess also affects how you move around and how you perceive the dungeon. Possess a little tiny beetle, and you'll only be able to move around very slowly and with your point of view from about you know two inches off the ground. Possess a fly, and you can move faster, but have very little offensive capability. Also, you can only control a single creature at once from this view, so you'll have to trust your minions to do their work if you want to spend any time playing the game this way. Of course, there are many more rooms which we may touch on in a little bit, but for now, suffice it to say, there's a lot of variety in this game, and there's a lot of opportunities to do a lot of different things. So, each level, or each dungeon, if you will, has a very similar goal. Either you need to clear it of hero forces, which generally culminates in a battle versus the Lord of the Land. Beware! The Lord of the Land approaches! Other goals may be to defeat rival keepers vying for dominance of the dungeon, or even both of these goals at once. You and your enemies can capture each other's units, and given the right set of rooms, can turn them to work for your side. This isn't only true of the other keepers' units, but of the heroes' units as well. You want to take on a dwarf and an archer? Dump them into your torture chamber. Even if you sit back turtled up in your dungeon, enemy forces will eventually tunnel their own way into your abode. Otherwise, you can always send out imps to dig into other areas of the map and take the fight to the other side. Your creatures are falling in battle. All this said, we haven't really talked about the coolest thing about minions in Dungeon Keeper. I said cool, I didn't say interesting. Left to their own devices, they will do a combination of, I guess we can explain it as, what they want and what you ask them. They all have a set of priorities. If your imps are done digging or building rooms and they have nothing else that they've been directed to do, they'll go and collect any gold left on the ground. Or, if they don't want to do that, they may reinforce the dungeon walls, making them harder for heroes to breach. Your combat units will recoup in the lair of the barracks, then move on to the hatchery to eat, and then on to the training room to level up. If an enemy comes close into close enough proximity, they'll be alerted and they may or may not rush to attack. There are other units in the game that are more closely related to specific rooms. And, you know, those creatures will go directly to their rooms and, uh, you know, do their thing until they're hungry or tired. For example, warlocks will study in the library. Trolls will build in the workshop, all without your prompting. They, they kind of want to go there. It's like a cat. It knows to go to its litter box to do its business. This all runs very, very smoothly, as long as you keep your minions in chicken and money. You see, unlike 
Command and Conquer, World of War, or just straight up Warcraft, Dungeons and Dragons, anything else, your minions do not owe their lives to you. They are not obliged to follow your orders. They are mercenaries. At regular intervals, it's payday and your minions expect to be paid. Your minions are annoyed. You cannot pay them. If they aren't paid, or if they don't have enough food, or if they don't have a place to sleep, or you cast too many spells on them, or you smack them around too much, they will lose happiness. Unhappy creatures are insubordinate. That is, they don't do what you want them to do. Not only that, they will begin fighting amongst themselves, causing actual damage to each other, and eventually deserting you all together. It's in your best interest to keep them happy. Your creatures are fighting amongst themselves. Not only do your minions fight each other if they're unhappy, there's an actual ecosystem here. Some minion types just don't get along with each other, and some of them are just a little bit touchy. For example, spiders will eat flies if they're put in the same lair. Skeletons and bile demons don't like each other too much. Warlocks are annoyed when other minions walk through the library while they are researching. Finally, the Horned Reaper, one of the most destructive units in the game, hates being unused. If he isn't busy at all times, he'll just start attacking any units around him. On the other hand, if the Lord of the Land appears, the Horned Reaper will make a beeline for him, ignoring anything you try to do to stop him. As you progress through the tech tree and all of this, you want to summon higher level creatures. Well, unlike in other real-time strategy games, this isn't as simple as building the requisite building or room. They require different levels of sacrifice. For example, building a prison opens up the opportunity to create skeletons. Dropping an enemy or friendly creature in there and leaving them until he dies results in him turning into a skeleton. The same can be said for a ghost in the torture chamber and a vampire in the graveyard. Just be careful because warlocks don't like vampires. In the temple, combinations of creatures can be sacrificed to gain higher level creatures. It's all a game of give and take. And I'm not even quite sure. I didn't read through the whole manual, but I'm not sure if they explained in the manual which creatures you need to combine together to create other creatures. So if that's the case, then, uh, you know, that was another piece of, uh, of exploration that needed to happen in the game. If you wanted to figure out, I think you have to sacrifice three different creatures to get the Horned Reaper and, uh, you know, other things like that. So it's, it's really, really quite cool. The ending of each level results in your victory, if in fact the, uh, you get the victorious ending, which is what you're aiming for, and you also get a great description by, of the town's new name and what it now looks like. So if you remember back in the story section, we had these beautiful idyllic settings and really nice descriptions. Well, when you finish a level, you get something like this. Steep scythe. Everyone has been put to the sword. And we've made an enormous magic carpet out of the thousands of bunnies that swarmed here. Your minions will feast on their tiny remains for weeks. Truly a majestic victory. Obviously, that is much better from our point of view than it was before. Eventually, you make your way through all the levels and your dominance is complete. The once happy and wonderful land is now suitably dark and morbid. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... Oh. 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 
So since we're in the latter half of the 90s here, we have some slightly heftier system requirements on Dungeon Keeper. The original DOS version required a minimum of a 486DX4 100MHz and 8MB of RAM. The Windows version required at least a Pentium 75MHz with 16MB of RAM. Really though, a Pentium 90 was the way to go on these. Of course, the game ran in 640x480 Super VGA and actually ran on a modified version of the Magic Carpet engine. Magic Carpet was Bullfrog's first real 3D game and its engine became the base for both Dungeon Keeper and for Syndicate Wars, the sequel to the original Syndicate we've already covered back a couple of episodes. In its original form, this engine featured dynamic lighting, grudge shading, and morphable landscapes. It also supported dynamic music like uh, other engines we've discussed like X-Wing and Wing Commander and all that. Uh, it also featured distance fogging, transparency effects, and mouse-controlled player viewpoint. It's quite interesting to me that the engine from what amounted to a first-person shooter could, uh, could be readily modified to handle a real-time strategy game. The opposite happened to Blizzard with Warcraft. The Warcraft 3 engine went on to power World of Warcraft. I personally think that this kind of reuse is really quite quite amazing. I mean, you you build an engine, maybe you build it I don't know. I I'm I'm not I'm not an industry guy and stuff like that. I'm not into engine design, so I don't know if if you go into these things deciding, well, you know what, we're going to build an engine and it's going to be usable for this first-person shooter, but you know, we'll also kind of be able to morph it to be used for this other type of game and this other type of game and maybe we can use it for a puzzle game and, and blah 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 like i don't know i just like maybe it's 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 the, the programmerness in me and, and the day job and all that but uh but reuse of, of really major pieces of code like this and really major code bases like this really does uh i don't know if i want to say excite me but it, it, it i i really do find it interesting of course the game has very very cool and interesting music as well the game's sound and music was composed by Russell Shaw, who did the music for many of Molyneux's games. Uh, Shaw played with various bands in the UK through the 70s and 80s, but his real dream was to become a record producer. In the mid-80s, he trained at London's SAE Institute and graduated as a sound engineer. He then went on to work for Jerry Anderson, you know, the guy that did the shows with all the puppets, Thunderbirds and all that, uh, as his studio recording manager, where he recorded sound for shows like Dick Spanner and Space Precinct. In 1990, he returned to music production, working on music for kind of the UK club scene. Uh, he'd also become an avid gamer. In 1992, he found that Bullfrog was looking for a game audio sound specialist. He fit the bill and was hired on. Dungeon Keeper remains one of his most notable works today. Alright, dev story time. So Dungeon Keeper is a bullfrog production, which means the driving force behind this novel game is, of course, Mr. Peter Molyneux. 
I went through all the history of Molyneux personally back in the Syndicate episode. Uh, so, suffice it to say that after some initial failures, a baked bean company, an accidental gift of 10 Amigas, and a database system later, Bullfrog Productions was born in 1989. If you want to hear more detail about that, jump back to Syndicate episode and uh, cut over to the dev story. So Molyneux and his team had some great successes with their early games, including Populous and Syndicate. However, Molyneux had a frustration. Almost all fantasy-based video games took their roots from the original tabletop Dungeons & Dragons. This was all well and good. D&D is a solid system that stood the test of time. People still play it a huge amount today. However, Molyneux thought that there was one aspect of the tabletop D&D experience that had never been reproduced in a video game. The spontaneity, creativity, and dynamism of a human dungeon master. Algorithms and AI can't suddenly switch gears. They won't do something foolish only to have it miraculously work out. On top of that, no game had ever focused on the actual creation of the dungeons adventurers would quest through. Finally, since games are always about winning, you never got to be the bad guy. Because the bad guy doesn't win. Molyneux wanted to make a game where you got to be the bad guy. Now, some would argue that this had already been done with Syndicate. He didn't see it that way. In Syndicate, you were a middle manager in a corporation. In his new game, you would be the Gygaxian mythical dungeon master, the all-powerful. Initially, he thought he'd still be making an RPG, but as he fleshed out the game, he realized that uh, the dungeon master doesn't quest. The dungeon master lies in wait, tending to his dungeon and fortifying it against invaders. This led him to realize a strategy and management model would be much more suited to this kind of game. Now, not only did you have to manage your troops, you had to go design each level as you went through the game. Molyneux himself claims that he came up with the imps, but the rest of the cast of creatures were dreamed up by various team members. The Horned Reaper, aka Horny, who became the series' mascot, was thought up by one of the artists. As much fun as it is to be the bad guy, Molyneux also wanted the game to be light and fun. They got British actor Richard Ridings as the vice of the mentor that you've been hearing throughout the show. Ridings', Ridings dry snark has become a hallmark of the franchise. Uh, you know, I played the, the kind of fun descriptions that Ridings did before, and then I played a, a couple of the other. I'm not sure if the in-game mentor, the one that kind of says, your creatures are under attack and blah, 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 is also Ridings, but uh, there is some uh, some funny stuff to hear there as well, kind of like... Your creatures are developing a strange accent. Something surreal is happening. Or my favorite. Your minions have a craving for chocolate. Much of the work was also put into the game's AI. Molyneux was of the belief that the strategy games of the time lacked robust artificial intelligence. In Command & Conquer and Warcraft, units don't act like they're alive. They act like robots obeying rules. If an enemy comes within a certain... Radius, you attack him. Otherwise, stay still until ordered. He felt that was unrealistic. In Dungeon Keeper, units did most things on their own. You don't tell a minion to attack. He either runs to the enemy himself, or he reacts appropriately if you place him next to an enemy. Looking back, he feels like the AI in Dungeon Keeper was the missing link between games like Command & Conquer and, you know, a more kind of very AI-heavy simulation like The Sims. Uh, it wasn't completely self-sufficient, but it could perform relatively well when left to its own devices. 
1995, well before the development for Dungeon Keeper had begun, EA had acquired Bullfrog Productions. So as well as being a game designer, Molyneux was also a vice president at EA. By late 1996, he was in the process of leaving Bullfrog and EA. However, he got so caught up in perfecting Dungeon Keeper's AI that uh, Molyneux came into conflict with Electronic Arts execs. You see, he didn't really keep it a secret that he was going to be leaving EA and uh, you know, management felt that his continued presence in the office would be a distraction. So he moved the bulk of development to his house where the game was completed. It was Molyneux's last game at Bullfrog. Dungeon Keeper released July 1997, and he officially left the company in August. Lionhead Studios was founded that same year and began to work on their first game, Black and White. Dungeon Keeper was fun, bitingly sarcastic, and charming. It sold quite well. In November 1997, an expansion named The Deeper Dungeons was released. It featured 15 new dungeons and even more improved AI. So despite Molyneux's departure, the Dungeon Keeper team kept on rolling. Work began on Dungeon Keeper 2. Though Dungeon Keeper 2 played quite similarly to the original and brought back Richard Ridings as the mentor, there were quite a few changes made to the sequel. Firstly, the game received a major graphical update. The first person view in the original was sprite-based. The sequel was fully 3D. Graphics were cleaner, crisper, and brighter, and the control system was really tightened up. The dungeon heart could now store up to 16,000 gold on its own. If you wanted to store more than that, you had the option to build a treasure room. It was not a requirement. When dropping creatures on the ground, they were temporarily stunned. Uh, many of the creatures were changed up, and uh, a big deal, the Horned Reaper could no longer be acquired as a minion. He could only be summoned occasionally to go on a rampage by using up almost all of your mana. Dungeon Keeper 2 is even funnier than the original. While the first Dungeon Keeper was witty, it was still somewhat serious. The color palette was still kind of very dark and a little bit ominous. Uh, Dungeon Keeper 2 is much more colorful, it cracks a lot more jokes, it breaks the fourth wall all the time, and uh, generally just does not take itself seriously at all. Now you think that would be silly and annoying, but it works really, really well. Dungeon Keeper 2, released in 1999, and is a much more playable and complete game than the original was. It rated quite well with reviewers and was quite successful, although not as successful as the groundbreaking original. So Dungeon Keeper 3, also known as War for the Overland, began development but was soon cancelled. At the time, the reason given was that Bullfrog was no longer being tasked to create real-time strategy games. The net result, though, was the end of Bullfrog Productions as a brand. Some developers were let go, others were merged into other EA teams, and by 2004, Bullfrog was fully folded into EA UK. You are listening so what does the future hold for dungeon keeper well there's definitely some news in that regard well it's not a sequel by lionhead this may just be as good back in november of 2012 a kickstarter campaign began for a game called war for the overworld the developers claim that it's a game inspired by dungeon keeper starcraft overland and evil genius it's effectively a spiritual successor to Dungeon Keeper, all the way to the point where during the campaign, Peter Molyneux himself supported it as the best way to get a remake of Dungeon Keeper done. Hello, my name is Peter Molyneux. 
It's two hours after the end of our Kickstarter campaign, and the very first thing that I wanted to do is to say to everybody, Dungeon Keeper has to be remade. It has to be remade by people who love it. And the Kickstarter campaign, War for the Overworld, is the campaign to support if you want to see Dungeon Keeper back. So War for the Overworld funded back in January of this year and has been greenlit on Steam. It's currently in closed beta with a scheduled release later this year. Do you ever wish you could go back in time? Join me on Out of Range Podcast and you almost can when I rediscover childhood favourites from TV, movies, toys, comic books and much more. The usually irregular but always entertaining geeky media show Out of Range can be found at dangelous.com slash outofrange. Search for Out of Range in iTunes or the podcast app of your choice. So, where can you get Dungeon Keeper today? Well, you can get Dungeon Keeper 1 and Dungeon Keeper 2 on GOG for $5.99 USD each. I definitely checked this this time. That is definitely the case. There's no uh, no funny business here. Uh, they both install beautifully without any trouble. The original game is the DOS version, and I don't believe it has the expansion with it, but I, I might be wrong about that. War for the Overworld will be available on Steam as soon as it releases. So, before we get to the final analysis of Dungeon Keeper, I got two messages from some great contributors to the show. Firstly, we have an email from Elemia. She writes, Hello Joe, I was listening to the last episode during my commute, sitting at a red light, when you said you would do Dungeon Keeper next week. I kid you not, I literally exclaimed, Woohoo! Much to the dismay of passersby. When Dungeon Keeper was released in 1997, I was still a young teenager and that game presented a unique opportunity to be bad. Slaughtering white knights, slapping hapless imps, and killing defenseless chickens made it clear that you weren't fighting for the good guys. That's what was so unusual at the time. There were just so very few games in which you played the bad guy. With enthusiastic glee, I laid waste to the land, spreading destruction where I could. The mechanics were simple enough, requiring you to dig out your underground dungeon, build a treasure room, a lair, a training room, pretty standard stuff but throwing wizards, fairies, and things get interesting, especially when you got the opportunity to capture and torture them. The voiceover on the world map, which described the village where the next mission took place, was great, with a great sense of humor, as it also told what happened after the mission's success. Funnily enough, the music really stood out for me. There were a few tracks on the CD, and I still listen to them to this day. I hope you play the intro. Unfortunately, I went back and played the GOG version I bought and felt it didn't really hold up. The controls were temperamental, especially the side-scrolling, and the graphics were downright awful. Maybe my view of it is colored by memories, but I find it difficult to recommend nowadays. Still looking forward to hear all about the game, though. Love the podcast. Alimia, Alima, sorry, slash Emily. P.S. Feel free to edit if my email is too long. Well, it is most certainly not too long. It's just perfect. And uh, thank you for your comments and your memories. And I guess we'll see what I think uh, as, as to, uh, as to whether or not it holds up. So I, I do really love, love hearing that, you know, when at the end of the show, I say what I'm working on next week and people get excited and, you know, it's the excitement for these games that, that really does motivate me to, to do the show. So I'm glad that, uh, 
that you guys in you know Emily specifically and and you guys in general share the enthusiasm for these kinds of games and newer games and just gaming in general and its history and all that stuff. So finally, we have a voicemail from Paul, aka Paul E. Coyote, one of my friends from the Treks in Sci-Fi forums. Take it away, Paul. Dungeon Keeper. Bullfrog has made many, many great games, and the original Dungeon Keeper might actually be my favorite. Although associated with inspirational designer and showman Peter Molyneux, I do hope mention of some of the other talented people credited in the game have been mentioned, such as Cast Brothers, Dante Barnes, composer Russell Shaw, artist Mark Healy and Paul McLaughlin, programmers Martin Bell and Alex Evans, tons of other people worked on that game. All did their part and all fantastic. Uh, just follow a few names through Dungeon Keeper's MobyGames.com entry and see how many members of the team went on to work with Peter again at Lionhead, even 22 Cans, or go on to work on games like Halo 3 and Little Big Planet. I think I've said this before on the Syndicate podcast, but Bullfrog helped seed the gaming industry in Guildford, just as Origin did in Austin. Anyway, back to the game. I bought Dungeon Keeper again a few months ago from Good Old Games after Joe gave the heads up on the Facebook group. I still had the box CD and manual, but I figured it was worthwhile getting a version that just worked out the box without lots of fiddling. I guess I don't have Joe's patience. Anyway, popping it in a few months ago and seeing what the title sequence come up and everything, it just made me grin and nod my head along to the music. All that stuff. Still love the narration between the levels too. Luckily I have full keyboard on my laptop so I get the controls pretty easily. I'm not sure how it worked without the keys are being in the right place. In Dungeon Keeper you're only allowed to influence one minion at once or via special buildings, which actually makes quite an interesting imitation when you compare it to the games like Command and Conquer that, that you assign groups and things. It makes you approach problems differently. Also, you have creatures not getting along with each other and having their own agenda. And their own agenda is not always aligned with yours, so that's interesting. I mean, they are all mercenaries after all. They can, and they do quit. Or they fight each other. They may not have a monster union, but, you know, they make their feelings known if you can't pay or feed them. So I suppose you can always just take it all out in the end. The game also has limited crafting. I think back in the day I actually made notes on a piece of paper and everything and what sacrifice to get certain minions, Corn Reaper and all that stuff. I didn't do that this playthrough. Perhaps I may have had more luck with level 10 if I did. So level 10 Nevergrim is where I got stuck this time. Despite having completed the game before, I think the game is taking advantage of newer hardware and spending more cycles on AI because I swear I don't remember the AI base rushing me before. I just cannot seem to win. Granted that I'm a bit older now, but I was cruising through the levels until this one. Oh well. Dungeon Keeper came out about the time I was at university. On the 8th floor there was the computer lab where my classmates and I had practical coding lessons in C++, ADA and Java. The machines were all pretty well specified and networked up together too, but also really locked down by netware software. But one day I discovered the secret BIOS code for those machines and, wearing a grey hat, I installed a hidden partition that ran Dungeon Keeper on a few of these machines that could only be accessed via a floppy disk. So guess what? Me and my friends there, we played Dungeon Keeper multiplayer into the late hours, and it was 
really fun. Really fun. Dungeon Keeper's interface is probably the most complicated interface of the Bullfrog games. But the, the hand in the world, like in Populous and everything, continues on into Lionhead Studios, black and white for instance. Although here you can see the design aesthetic has gone way towards as little um, buttons and icons and time in the menu as possible and completely in the world as much as possible. Codemasters also had a little homage to Dungeon Keeper in Overlord. Although, to be fair, it's a completely different game. It's more like if Dungeon Keeper and Pikmin had a baby. Um, it's still fun and worthwhile picking up if you see it around somewhere cheap. Sticking with modern new games, though, if you wanted to have a game that you've probably not played and is awesome, you should pick up the movies. You'll find it somewhere cheap and you owe it to yourself to play it if you've not played it. The future of Dungeon Keeper seems to be a spiritual successor recently kickstarted called War for the Overworld. Simon Carter and Peter Monu both put in their support for it on the Kickstarter website and I play I've I kickstarted it, I played it on my laptop, it doesn't work terribly well yet, but as it's still in beta I don't expect it to either. But with any luck if it blossoms into a great game, hopefully I'll see you Joe and other listeners in there and some multiplayer dungeon mayhem thank you so much paul for that so much great info in there and thank you especially for you know shouting out uh, a couple of the other uh, a couple of the other team members uh i i do try and not just talk about you know the big brains behind the behind the game if if i can find some some specific compelling information about about other people i know on the doom podcast i was able to find some more stuff with bigger games you tend to find uh you know that don't necessarily have one big big name behind them you tend to find a bit more information about others but yeah you know there's a reason that i always say this and you know my wife gets mad at me because when we go to the movies i like sitting through the credits and all that and it's not just because you know i want to see if there's a hidden uh hidden you know a, a hidden scene at the end it's because really at the end of the day be it a, a movie be it a video game be it anything, people worked hard to bring it to you. And and I do like to acknowledge and, and appreciate the efforts. I know, especially in the gaming industry, deadlines are crazy and, and work is hard and, and the hours are long and and all that. So so you know, these people that that put in this work, they do really deserve our appreciation, being that they provide us with, with hours and hours and, and even at times with games I talk about years and years of fun. So thank you, Paul. I know I, I did the same thing. I used to go to a, uh, a computer camp when I was young at, uh, at a local college. I think I was probably like 10 to 13 years old when I went there. And they had a, a Novell Netware system. And uh, we were able to get, uh, a, it was some type of networked cart game on there. It wasn't Mario Kart. It was kind of like a PC version of, of Mario. I think it was just called Karts. And, uh, you know, we got that on the network and we would play that every once in a while and, and have have a blast with it so thanks again paul love it when when you comment and uh wonderful wonderful stuff okay so we're there the big question does dungeon keeper hold up today well i will say heck yeah 
Even today, the game is still novel. It's still funny. The gameplay is still entertaining. Now, I will say I will agree with Emily. The graphics in the first game are late 90s 3D, so they're really quite muddy. The resolution is low, which makes for a very small viewport into the game world. Uh, the controls can be a bit squirrely at times, especially the screen scrolling. However, if this stuff doesn't bother you, Dungeon Keeper 1 is tons of fun. If that stuff does bother you, however, just play Dungeon Keeper 2. The sequel is really, in my mind, a superior game. It looks better. It plays better. The first-person view is actually somewhat useful in that you can actually group some minions together. So if you're in a first-person view of a certain minion, you can. there's a grouping function where if you look at a minion and you fire off the group with me function, they'll follow you around. So you can actually play the game a little bit from that view. In the first game, it was more a novelty. Molyneux in an interview has even said... You know, he wished that they had done more with that. It was kind of a half-done feature. But, um, you know, it just plays better. Story's better. The missions are more varied. There's really no backstory from the first game you need to know. So, you know, I give Dungeon Keeper 1 a mild recommendation. Check it out. And I give Dungeon Keeper 2 a strong one. Both fun. But if you haven't played them or Jaggy 3D and oversensitive mouse controls bother you, just play number two. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're, we're huge, huge Disneyland, Disneyland fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast at www. Talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make, make it, it a, a Mickey, Mickey day. So that is that. Thanks to everyone who contributed to the show this week, and I do again apologize for the minor delay in getting things out. Next time, I'm going to do a fun one. We're going to talk Duke Nukem. Yes, we will discuss both the side-scroller original, Duke Nukem 3D, and I'm sure I'll have something to say about Duke Nukem forever. As always, you can send email or audio comments to podcast at umbcast.com. I got some good stuff this week. I hope to get some good stuff next week, too. Love it when you guys send stuff in. This was a very rich and varied show, and uh, you know it does it does make things a lot more interesting, I think, to, uh, to hear from you all. Thank you to Rick Moyer for his great audio work. You can find him over at moyermultimedia.com. Check out the show notes at umbcast.com. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash umbcast because we love to chat. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash umbshow and me personally at twitter.com slash billybob476. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Stream us live at Stitcher Radio. Leave me a review there. And that's it. We will see you next time for Duke Nukem here in the upper memory block. You are victorious. Your darkness pervades throughout the kingdom. All hail a new lord of shadows. Oh, my God.
You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join us.